Psalm 26 this evening. If you're with us tonight and you don't have a Bible, there are men coming up the aisles right now with Bibles, and if you just wave to them and get their attention, they'll get a Bible into your hands. Like every, we like everyone to be able to follow along in their own Bible, and if you don't own a Bible, please make that one your own this evening. As we, we remember as we are reading through these psalms that they're written from every conceivable circumstance that a first person will uh, face in life, a child of God will face in life. And we're going to look at several psalms tonight and try and understand a little bit about their context and what birthed this song or this directed toward God, the praise toward God. But it, it teaches us... Um, you know, kind of foundationally, where the big thing that it teaches us, the book of Psalms, is that no matter what circumstance we're in in life, there's always a song to be sung to the Lord. There's always a reason for praise. There's always a reason for faith. And the psalmists, uh, it, they instruct us related to this as these psalms that came out of the experience of their own life, God's people in a very fallen world, uh, communicate to us. In Psalm 26, we have a uh, prayer of David that the Lord would uh, vindicate his integrity. So once again, we have a psalm for the child of God who is being unjustly slandered in life. It's interesting as you read through the Psalms, you think, boy, David must have had some pretty difficult press in those days because he wrote often of this might have been a little bit too because uh, he certainly was an artistic kind of type of person, tough guy on the field of battle and all of this, but he also had an artist's heart and an artist's sensitivity and, uh, and this opposition that was against him all of the time uh, really was something he had to lift up to the Lord. And a lot of that, some people in life, just the way that God has made us, somebody can criticize and slander us, and they just go, you know, nothing, who cares? And, uh, and then someone else, it's a much greater trial. And for David, it was a hurtful thing in his life. didn't incapacitate him, but it was something that he took uh, to the Lord. And of course, any, nobody's going to ever be in a position, certainly no child of God is going to be in a position of leadership like David was as the king of Israel. Sometimes we think the king of Israel, wow, everybody walked with God and they were so, you know, uh, close to God. No, he had a lot of enemies that were happy, hoping for his death hoping to get rid of him because of his stand for God, a lot of people that weren't walking with God. And so it was the same kind of world then that we're living in today. And, and so uh, uh, David, the, any leader, that a Christian leader, Christian in a position of leadership is certainly going to be slandered uh, not only 3,000 years ago as with David, but even to, to this day as well. And so and it, you don't have to be the leader of a nation to have it affect you. Uh, slander on a personal level uh, is, is uh, hurtful as well. So he said, vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. He said, I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. And so he is uh, being slandered, as we'll see a little more fully down in the psalm. The slander is unjust. 
against him because he says, mentions the fact that he had walked in his integrity. And uh, the word integrity, it means wholeness. It means unity. In other words, David lived a whole life, a, a unified life. He wasn't uh, one thing outwardly and then another thing inwardly. He wasn't living uh, one life in church, so to speak, or in spiritual settings and living a completely different kind of life in other places. He said, God, you know what I am. You know, I'm a man of integrity. I live for you. I, I walk with you no matter what environment that I'm in, and you know that I'm innocent uh, of these particular charges. And so there was no inconsistency in David and to, on the basis of any environment that he, he happened to be in. He was consistent in walking with, uh, with God. And, and so he cries out to God in this, I've walked in my integrity. I've also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. He said, examine me, O Lord, and prove me, try my mind and my heart. And so here we begin in verse 2 down through verse 11, uh, David crying out to the Lord in great confidence toward the Lord. One of the things about um, knowing when, when a person's being slandered or when we're in any kind of a trial and we know that we're right with God, we can be wrong, everybody else can be turned against us. But if we know that we're right with God, it produces a confidence in our lives. And so all of this is happening, but David remains very confident in his relationship with the Lord. And it's because of of his integrity. He knows he's innocent of the charges that were being meted out against him. One of the worst places to be in life as a Christian, and I don't know that uh, anybody really escapes it all of their life, but but to be in that kind of a place where um, a... uh, Something is, is some great trial could be slander, could be anything that comes against us, and we realize I'm not walking in a total integrity with God. There's inconsistency in my life. There's disobedience in my life. There's lukewarmness in my life. And then when those circum, then some great circumstance hits us, then we lack a confidence with God that God wants us to have. So one of the great blessings of walking in integrity is to, whenever something hits, I can go boldly to God and not having to be repairing a damaged relationship with Him so that I feel that I can go boldly uh, to Him. And so David is feeling this confidence. I think about, remember in the book of Genesis with Joseph and his brothers, they had... you know, feigned his death and they had sold him into slavery and here he is, you know, going through all these things that he's going through for many long years. And then Jacob and the boys, they kind of run out of food because of the famine in the land in Israel and they go to Egypt. You remember the story in order to get food and Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. The last time they saw him, he was just a squirt and a nobody and this. And now he's this full grown man in Egyptian garb and looking the whole deal. They didn't recognize him and he recognized them. And then he played a little bit of a game with them to bring them kind of to repentance and uh, said, well, I'm not going to, uh, you know, release you to go back to your father without keeping one of the brothers, et cetera, et cetera. And then one of the brothers cried out, just out of the blue, he said, he said, I told you we shouldn't have treated Joseph this way. And he has no idea that he's in the presence of Joseph. 
We're talking about years and years and years earlier. And the guilty conscience of what he did, what they did with Joseph, the injustice of it. Here they run into a situation that's difficult and they still don't have a confidence that God has the freedom to bless them as fully as he desires to because of the sin of their past. And so it does rob us uh, of that confidence with God and it, and it robbed them. But David had that, examine me, O Lord, prove me. Try my mind and my heart, for your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. He lived obedient to God's word. I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor shall I go down in with hypocrites. I have hated the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. Now, this isn't saying that a child of God can never be around an unsaved person or even a bad person or a wicked person. What David is saying when he's talking about sitting with them and all, it's like going to their idolatrous meetings, sitting down, partaking of it in a way that confuses them to think that David's okay with all of this uh, idolatry that we're engaged in. So it would send mixed signals. David said that I didn't do that. We remember Jesus. He was called a friend of sinners because he did meet with with sinners, and he went in and he ate with them and he drank with them, which was something that was kind of a shock to the religious leaders of his day. But Jesus never, when he was in these environments, he always brought the gospel with him and he always brought a godly influence with him. No one was under the misconception that, oh, Jesus is in this environment and he's okay with everything that's going on here. He wasn't even okay with what was going on in the temple in Jerusalem. And, and so we can be with sinners, we can be in uh, uh, difficult environments, but we don't uh, give off the vibe or communicate that, hey, yeah, it's, everything's okay, all roads lead to God, and it, this idolatry is no big deal. Jesus didn't do that, but he did. He was a friend of sinners. And uh, anybody else thankful for that tonight? Yes. I don't think I'm the only sinner in the room. He said... I will wash my hands in innocent. He knew he was innocent of the charges. And so, here's the confidence, here's the boldness. I'm innocent. And so, I will go about your altar, O Lord, I will, that I may proclaim the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. And so, it gave him a, his innocence gave him a great boldness in his worship of the Lord and in his relationship with the Lord. He said, do not gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands is a sinister scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. And so he prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, don't let me suffer the fate of wicked men after this life, which is judgment. But as for me, I will walk in my integrity Redeem me and be merciful to me. And so his cry for the Lord to uh, kind of ransom him out of this 
trial that he's in and uh, be merciful to him in the face of the slander that was coming against uh, against him from the wicked. And then he declares, uh, my foot stands in an even place and the congregations I will bless the Lord. So again, this sanctified bo- uh, boldness that he had, knowing he was right with God despite the fact of what everyone else was saying about him. And he knew that he was on an even place, that he was in a a, a good place with God. There was no stumbling block or any occasion for him to be uh, harmed while the Lord protected his, uh, his reputation and, and, uh, and, and brought him out of this trial. Then, in the, and so this psalm speaks of just the sanctified boldness of, of a holy life, and it's true, and God wants us to have that. And uh, Psalm 27 is the, a, a psalm for when we're gripped by fear. And so it is the psalmist's answer to fear and also a fear caused by the forces of evil. Do you have a, any sense that there are forces of evil at work in the world today? My goodness. It's like they're on steroids as well. And, uh, and because of that, uh, because righteousness exalts a nation and sin is a reproach to any people, and what's true of a nation is true of a world, um, the world as it's moving away from God's definitions of right and wrong and good and bad and replacing it with their own definitions, which are vastly inferior definitions, you can't help but have circumstances change in the world for the worse that would, if we look at those same circumstances as everyone else in the world, without factoring God into it, well, we're going to be gripped completely uh, by fear. And so here is this uh, psalm, all of the psalms that deal with uh, David's answer to this fear that's gripping his life. Of course, all of us can relate to that because nobody in this world, there's nobody in this world that isn't gripped by fear. Now, what we do with that, of course, that's the important thing. But nobody escapes being gripped by fear and the fallenness of this world. And so he said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So there's the word. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And when the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. There's the word again. Though war may arise against me in this I will be confident. And so here is this uh, causes of fear in his life. The wicked have come up against him to eat his flesh. Uh, Boy, isn't it weird, these cannibal things going on? That's not what's going on here, but it's just kind of weird, this uh, salt thing that's got the drugs and the deal, and the next thing you know, somebody's torn off all their clothes and they're eating somebody's face. And I don't know, I mean, in the old days when people got loaded, I mean, they did things like shouted out the window of a car or they came to a a four-way stop and they got out, put it in park, ran around it, got back in the car and continued to drive. Today they take off their clothes and start eating people on the street. Some of you may not be aware of what's going on in Miami recently on things, but it's an explosion of this new kind of drug that's going on and people coming under the influence of it. They become very hot. They have to strip off their clothes. They become very violent and and animal-like. 
So you just, you see how crazy things are getting. And I know this is like way off on the kind of an extreme of what's going on in the culture, but it's still going on in the culture. And so the wicked here, uh, they were bent on his destruction. And it talks about eating them up, uh, uh, eating him up in his flesh in that way. It talks about his enemies wanting to destroy him like a pack of wolves or uh, a, a bunch of wild animals. He then speaks also of an army that was encamped against him. And uh, so it appears that war was imminent in some way. His enemy is, is kind of uh, settled in for a long siege to overthrow David and seeking his destruction. We see there in verse 13, as we'll get to in just a moment, he declares that the situation that he's in is so dire that, and so overwhelming that he would have lost all hope of surviving this particular chapter in his life if survival depended solely upon his resources. Now, it's one thing to just say blah, blah, blah like this and just say those kind of things. And then it's another thing to read it in a verse, and then it's another thing to just stop and think about when we find ourselves in a situation or circumstance in our life where we look and say, this will be the death of me. If this, if this, if this situation is totally dependent on me meeting it with my emotional resources, my mental resources, my financial resources, my uh, whatever resources, I'm a dead duck. And... and and so this is the level of the trial that he, he's in. Now, we don't have physical armies coming against us. We're not kings. We've got a spiritual army that comes against us as Christians on a daily basis. So our hardships are different than David's. They can be a, a loss of a job. It can be a financial reversal. It can be a medical diagnosis that we prefer uh, not to get. It can be the loss of a loved one. Lots of different things that can produce fear in, in our lives. And yet, in all of this, David maintained his faith in God. And in fact, he even ended up boasting uh, in the Lord uh, relate in the midst of it. He declared again, verse 1, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is the strength uh, of my life. And so he declared in the midst of all of that he was going to be uh, okay. And then as we get to verse 4, we ask ourselves, okay, David meets this great trial, very dangerous trial that he's in, uh, one that he has no hope of sur- surviving apart from God's intervention. And yet he sell, and it produces fear in him, and yet he successfully navigates it. And how in the world does he do that? What decisions does, is a child of God supposed to make facing that kind of a trial in order to successfully navigate it? And, and so this is what he tells us now in, in this particular uh, section of the psalm. And he says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord, His love, His wisdom, His holiness, and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble, He shall hide me in His pavilion. In the secret place of His tabernacle, He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. The first thing that David did here in the midst of this great trial was He drew closer to God. And not everybody does that. But that's one of the lessons. David spent his whole life drawing closer to God. Was he a perfect man? No, he wasn't a perfect man. 
But he, he lived a long life of continually drawing closer to God. And so when these circumstances came into his life, it was just he recognized this is a time where I need to go deeper in my relationship with the Lord. And so if you're in a place here tonight or something in your future that might happen, and all of a sudden, boom, this news comes or the circumstance comes, you say, okay, what's the first thing I need to do because I'm about to get torpedoed in a big way by fear? Go deeper in your relationship with the Lord. Why? Because the relationship that we've had with God up to that moment in time has been adequate for our life up to that moment in time. But now we've got a new normal in our life. Now we've got a new situation in our life. And the relationship and the intimacy with God that was good enough yesterday isn't good enough today in the light of what we're facing. So I've got to go deeper with the Lord. Seems like, okay, that's just something that a preacher's supposed to say until you find yourself in that circumstance. And then you realize, I need to go deeper. However much I know God, however long I've walked with God, I need to go deeper in my relationship with Him and to do that. Some people hit something like that and they move away from God or they begin to turn to all other kind of different things, everything but God, and growing in the relationship with God to try and remedy the, the situation when the single greatest need is a spiritual uh, need. And so here is this, uh, this going deeper in the relationship uh, with the Lord. And, I, and now, he said, um, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and therefore I shall offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. So he, he draws closer to the Lord. He draws closer to the Lord in a particular environment, not, not from the palace, but he does so from the temple. In other words, he assembles together with God's people in order to worship the Lord there. That's the second important thing that David does, and he wants us to know that in this psalm, is the importance of the assembling together of the saints. Always important, and more than important, it is commanded. Sometimes you get people say, oh, you know, I've got my own relationship with God and I haven't attended church for years and everything. And, and uh, you know, God knows I got my own thing and the whole deal. I have never, I've walked with the Lord since 1980. I have never, ever known a single Christian who forsakes the assembling together of the saints who is making any difference for the kingdom of God in this world. It just doesn't happen because we need each other. And this isn't some Lone Ranger thing that God has called us to. We have become a part of a family when we became Christians. And we need each other in times of trial. And we need each other for perspective. And, and so when we hit some kind of a situation like David is hitting here, so often 
We need somebody else to speak into our lives because the situation that we can be in, we can be losing perspective because it's so big. We don't even know how to hear God at the moment in all of this. And then others will come who are outside of the circumstance and seeing things a little bit more clearly. They will speak into our lives. They will pray for us. They'll put an arm around our shoulder. They will look after us. So the importance of Christian fellowship. And then in that... Uh, verses, uh, uh, verse 6 there, uh, the third thing is the importance of spending more time in worship and in praise. Just to just offer praise in worship to the Lord. We should... It, it, the, sometimes I've heard uh, through the years where... And there's an element of truth to it, so I'm qualifying this rather massively before it comes out of my mouth. But... People will talk about, very often pastors will talk about, the fact that the uh, worship part, the singing part of the service, that its uh, sole purpose is to prepare our hearts for the study of God's Word. And I don't agree with that. I believe it does do that, and it needs to do that, and that is important. But our relationship with God isn't entirely focused on the study of God's Word. That is foundational to it. But there is also a need for us to verbalize our worship and our praise to the Lord, that it comes out of our mouths to be spoken to the Lord. And as we worship Him and we praise Him for who He is, how big He is, how beautiful He is, how wonderful He is, it begins to introduce needed perspective into our lives when we're in real danger of losing perspective. And so what praise and worship does is it causes me just as a byproduct. I worship Him because He's worthy to be worshipped. But the byproduct of it is now I see that trial no longer solely in the light of my own inconsiderable resources, but I see it now in the light of God's power, His love for me, His greatness, His resources, and everything changes with that perspective change. So if you sit here tonight, and I I didn't have like one eye open during worship spotting you, but if you sit Sunday after Sunday after Sunday through this worship part of the service and you're thumbing through the bulletin, uh, you're thinking about bringing uh, a crossword puzzle book or you're just kind of killing time until the Word's being taught, you don't want to do that because we have a need to worship the Lord in this way and even more so when we find ourselves in this kind of, of difficulty. And it's a funny thing because sometimes you get somebody who underappreciates the importance of worship in their walk with the Lord, and then boom, the bottom falls out some way, somewhere. And then pretty soon somebody says, hands them a, a CD and says, listen, I recorded 15 songs on here that have helped me uh, during a similar time in my life. And they put that thing in, in the car, in the truck, or at home, and they begin to listen to it, and they begin to be impacted by worship in a way that they never have before. Realize, wow, I need this like I never realized that I needed this. And so David took and he gave this 
praise to the Lord and this worship to the Lord just expressed it and to express it verbally. And we need, uh, we need to do that. And we'll see that in several of the next psalms that are going to be coming up. There's a need to verbalize our faith. There's a need to say, praise the Lord. There's a need to say, God is good. God, you're amazing. God, you're worthy to be praised. I give you praise right now, Lord. There's a need in our spirit for those things to come out. I'm a Scot. If I can do it, you can do it. It's kind of like I'm growing up and trying to sing and dance with the temptations and the four tops. It's in there. It just doesn't translate well to the outside. Well, in my relationship with the Lord, I'm a pretty reserved person in general. But it's all inside of there. And no matter what our reservations are, our hesitations are in that way, we have a need to verbalize this to God. Because God is worthy of hearing it and receiving it. And because we have a need to say it. So there is a place for a little Pentecostalism. Not Pentecostal excess. But everyone ought to have a little Pentecostalism in there, in their relationship with the Lord. We have a need to communicate praise and worship to the Lord. And then he declared in verse 7, speaking of the issue of prayer, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face or your favor, God, I will seek. Do not hide your face or your favor from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me or forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. And so the importance of spending even more time in prayer with the Lord as David speaks about uh, this and and the need to see God's face, to experience His favor in the middle of of the mess that he was in. And then in verse 11, just this uh, expressing of putting his trust in the Lord. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. And do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And he said that because he believed that. And he not only believed it, but he said it to God. He verbalized it to the Lord, the importance of expressing our faith to God. There are times where I might be dealing with something and sometimes I'll process a little bit of life, maybe walking a little bit or driving or certainly in prayer in a quiet time and all or maybe on a, a bicycle if I'm going some long distance and stuff, and, and you just you find yourself just shouting out to the Lord. I just figure, hey, whoever's on the other side of that wall or whatever it is, they're never going to see me again. And uh, just praise you, Lord. Just thank you, Lord. I thank you that this is all going to work out, Lord, and you're going to be glorified. You're going to work this together for good. It's interesting. There was a story, and I... I, I don't have it all in, uh, together in my mind, and, uh, but there was a story, famous uh, 
illustration of someone, I think he ultimately became a, a famous English minister and, and uh, was walking down the street somewhere in England and there was somebody in their backyard where they had a brick wall around it and all. And this person is just doing this kind of thing of just praising the Lord and proclaiming these great things concerning the Lord. He walked by. It was exactly what he needed to hear and completely changed his life. See, I mean, you can do it by faith and, and, and all of that. Uh, who cares what anybody thinks about you? If we all knew what people thought about us, we'd care less about it. Uh, and then what's the old saying? If we realized how little they thought about us, uh, we'd be even less concerned. He said, wait upon the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, upon the Lord. And so his final bit of instruction was give God the time to work this situation out for his purposes. Put your faith in God, trust in Him, give Him the time that He deserves to make this thing glorify Him. And of course, uh, we see, again, we have the advantage of being able to look at David's life, 2020 hindsight, and to realize that God was always faithful in that way. Psalm 28, just a beautiful psalm. It's a psalm that celebrates the fact that, number one, God hears our prayers... And number two, he answers them. So I think we talked about a while back in the earlier Psalms talking about uh, the, uh, the sunset. If a sunset occurred just once every thousand years, everybody would come out to watch it. They'd be in awe of it. But because it happens every day, we lose an awe over it. And sometimes the same thing can be said as it relates to prayer. And the psalmist is not wanting to lose his awe over this unbelievable thing called prayer in the life of the child of God that we get to talk to God. And you stop and think about it. That's a Selah moment. That I get to talk to God anytime I want to, anywhere, about anything at His invitation... That's that's just amazing. And that he not only gives me the privilege of talking to him, but he promises to listen to me and to answer my prayers. And so this psalm is a beautiful psalm of just being in awe of, of that reality concerning God. And he said, To you I will cry, O Lord my rock. Be not silent to me, lest if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you, when I lift up my hands toward you in the sanctuary. And so this crying out to the Lord and praying to the Lord and asking the Lord to to hear his prayers. And then he goes on in verse 3 to pray that the Lord would distinguish between him and the wicked. So he gets specific in prayer that God would distinguish between him and the wicked at the time of judgment. Do not take me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity who speak peace to their neighbors, but the evil is in their hearts. Give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. 
Give them according to the work of their hands. Render them what they deserve because they do not regard the works of the Lord nor the operation of his hands. He shall destroy them and not build them up. And so apparently David's life had been put in jeopardy once again by uh, the wicked. And so he lifts this specific need up to the Lord. And then here is the praise to the Lord for hearing his uh, uh, prayers. Blessed be the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my supplications. Do you know God hears your, he knows your voice? Like those seal pups. <laughs> Did you just call me a seal pup? I might have, but it was inadvertent. When you pray, he recognizes your voice. I mean, all these people, everybody, who's, how many people praying to him at any one point in time of the billions of people in the world? And he's able to process all of that individually, and he knows your voice individually. And he just prays the Lord because he has heard the voice of my prayers. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Here's the answer to prayer. And therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song, I will praise him. The Lord is their strength, and he is the saving refuge of his anointed. Save your people, and bless your inheritance. Shepherd them also, and bear or uphold them forever. And so he closes the psalm of praise for the uh, privilege of prayer, and God's answers to prayer by praying that God would save his people, bless his people, shepherd his people, uphold his people. And that's a wonderful prayer. God hears it, and God also answers that prayer. So this beautiful psalm, I love this psalm. This speaks about uh, the, the uh, awesome privilege of prayer, always good to be reminded of it. And then in, verse, uh, in Psalm 29, We have a celebration of God's power. And so the psalmist says, Give to the Lord, you mighty, O you mighty ones. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name and worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. In other words, our worship should be accompanied by a holy life. And so he calls on us to bless the Lord and to worship the Lord. And then he's going to tell us why related to the power of God. And David, this might have been something that he wrote from his memory as a childhood experience. Remember, he was a shepherd as a boy over uh, his family flock. It might have been something that he witnessed later, even as an older man, as the king of Israel. But what he is witnessing is a great thunderstorm that is making its way uh, through the nation of Israel from the north to the south. And we know that from geographically how it's described here. And as he sees this great storm and the impact that this storm is having upon everything that it's passing over and through, it reminds him of the power of God. And he begins to worship the Lord for his power. Now, David's not the last one to do that. I think that probably all of us, depending on uh, what uh, particular um, expression of nature that... All of us probably have an expression of nature that really wows us 
and reminds us of the power of God. And we think, wow, look at how powerful that is. I know the God who has made that. And so it produces worship within us. For me, it's great waves hitting a shore on the ocean. Those things just pounding. One time we were in Hawaii and... Um, and uh, Listen, you should never go to Hawaii without letting everyone know it. So now you know. So we were on one of these islands over there, and I don't know any of the islands from the others until somebody reminds me which island is which. So we were over there. It was enough for me to be in Hawaii. And we went to somewhere around some place where here are the waves that are the world-class waves and you just and we just pulled the car over and just watched these things come in. One, I mean, they're the size of this building times two. I don't know, just gigantic waves coming in. <clears throat> and then all these silly people out there <clears throat> with surfboards coming uh, in on it. I, I like <clears throat> I like to enjoy God's power from a distance a little bit when it comes to water. I think <clears throat> Pastor Bob and I are on the same page. Related to that, we don't particularly care for water uh, up close of that kind. And so, but, but there's that thing that you look at and you go, this reminds me of the power of God and the storm uh, did that for him. And so this very poetic description, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders and the Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. And so this great thunder is just exploding over this wide, vast areas of Israel. And he is hearing all of this. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. And so here now we have lightning that is flashing, coming down these lightning bolts, hitting great cedar trees and just exploding them uh, into splinters, into toothpicks. And so here's this you know, uh, great thing that he's not only hearing but also seeing. And he said, He makes them also skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. And so as he watches this storm that's passing through the land, he looks at the hills, he looks at the cedars on the hills, and the storm is so great that it gives the appearance that all of them are dancing. And dancing, he, he says, skipping like a calf. I'm very poetic uh, language. Again, this artistic side uh, of David by the Lord. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. Again, the lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. And so the storm was so great, uh, ready or not, here comes your baby. <laughs> Just frightened the deers, a deer, and they gave birth and strips the forest there within minutes of this storm just coming in, wiping off all of the leaves off of the tree, just the power of it. And in his temple, everyone says glory. And he's talking about witnessing this thing. He's, a scri- he's calling nature a temple here. I'm not talking about in the temple of God he, he, because it's God's creation. He inhabits the world as well. And so, as he says, you just witness all of this. Anyone who is witnessing uh, this it, it would cry out in just awe of God's power and say glory. And then the, the 
he speaks of the implications of knowing God to be this powerful. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, at the time of the flood of Noah, and the Lord sits as king forever. When you're that powerful, then you're pretty relaxed. And you just sit on your throne and you rule. And so he's not, again, not anxious about anything that's going on in the universe because he has the power to, to uh, rule and overrule everything for his glory. And so he sits, he's immovable because of his power. Who could, what human being could m- move a God like that that has that kind of power? And the Lord, uh, the Lord will give strength to his people. So we say, Lord, give me your strength. Sometimes we can't put a word picture to it. So he says, try a storm like this. Okay, God's got some amazing strength, and so God has this strength, and he's willing to give his power to us to strengthen us. The Lord will bless his people with peace. And the idea is when we understand God to be this powerful as his children, knowing his heart of love toward us, then it will have a result of us Um, being at peace in the circumstance. And so the psalm speaks to us that no matter how great any storm might be in our lives, God's power is greater still than that storm. He will give us the power. He will give us the peace that we need to navigate that storm. And it's true, and he'll do it. But boy, when you're right in the middle of it, and you say, I've never been in waters like this before, This is a one-nostril, out-of-the-water trial, Lord. And I think I'm a little taller than I was last time I was one-nostril out-of-the-water. But he will always give us his power, and he will always give us his peace to navigate that season. And then there is life on the other side of it. And so this beautiful psalm speaking of the power of God and what it's intended to communicate to us. Then in Psalm 30, this is an interesting psalm because it's a psalm of, uh, by David of praise to the Lord for delivering his life from death. So David, uh, close to the writing of this psalm, he experienced something in his life where death came close. How many of you have had a near-death experience in your life? Just raise your hand. This is up high. Let me just get an idea. This is highly scientific. Near-death experience. Okay, a lot of you haven't. Okay, God bless you. <laughs> so a lot of us in the room recognize a near-death I- I- experience where you just go, okay, I'm dead. I remember almost drowning. I thought, that's it. I'm dead as a kid. And there have been a couple times in a vehicle. You know how sometimes you're driving along and you have like a near miss on something? Maybe you don't. I thought more people had a near-death experiences than have had in the room. It's terrific. But sometimes you have something happen and, you, and then something happens and you move and it's all okay and everything and you go, oh, that's just driving on planet Earth. And then there's other times where something happens and then you, you either walk away from that accident or you avert that accident, and within one second you recognize, God, you stepped in and you spared me because my ministry isn't over. And so there are those experiences that we face in life. David had apparently faced some kind of a circumstance where death uh, came close, and it involved um, some opposition from his enemies, evolved a, a physical uh, illness as well. And so he said, I will extol you, O Lord, For you have lifted me up 
and have not let my foes rejoice over me. That is, his enemies rejoice over uh, his death. O Lord my God, I cried out to you, and you healed me. Here's the physical element of it. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. And so he was near death, thought he was going to die, and God spared him uh, from uh, from death. And, and his recovery was so uh, remarkable that it was like uh, being raised from the dead. And then he gives his praise uh, to the Lord for answering his prayer. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. You ever had God angry with you? That righteously anger, that would mean he's disciplined you. Anybody been disciplined by the Lord? Just a quick show of hands here, just so I can have... All right. I was beginning to feel that I was like in this 10% of, of professing Christianity, and uh, I was going to head into an afterglow after the service and check with God and find out what's wrong with me here on this. So, no, we do all un- understand what it is for God to be angry with us with a righteous anger to chasten us for some kind of wrongdoing or wrong attitude in our heart, that kind of thing. But the psalmist says, listen, his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. He never stays there. And it's, it, 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 it would be terrible if the whole thing were reversed, and that is his favor is but for a moment and his anger is for life. Some people have a relationship with that God, but that's not the God of the Bible. They just think he's just massively ticked off at him, and every once in a while he's happy to see him. But it's the exact opposite. When he's upset with us and he needs to discipline us, that's a short season. But his favor is for life. Weeping can endure for a night, but joy comes in uh, the morning. And so there's always a dawn coming on the other side of of any kind of difficulty that we, we find ourselves in. He said, now in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. One of the hardest things a child of God deals with in, uh, it, it, that we can deal with, as testified to by the children of Israel, is to deal with prosperity. And one of the problems is, as we walk with the Lord, God blesses our lives. And we are going to experience a... Um, some expression of prosperity. We may not be millionaires, but we're going to be more prosperous than we were if we were out there throwing all of our money away and all of our lives and health away on the nonsense of the world. So there is a prosperity that comes with just simply walking with God. There's blessings. The problem is, is that God, as God brings those blessings into our life and then we use them wisely, Sometimes those then become an enemy to our relationship with the Lord because we begin to trust in those things rather than to trust in the Lord. And that's what happened with David. He's the king. He's powerful. He's rich. He's all of these things. And he feels that he's reached a place in his life in terms of position, in terms of financial um, resources that he had, that it placed him now outside of the reach of any kind of difficulty in life. And so he recognized that was pride on his part. He, and he was looking and saying, I shall never be moved. That's okay to say that when I'm saying, I shall never be moved because God is my God. 
Uh, it is a very wrong thing to say, I shall never be moved because of how much money I have in the bank or what my net worth is because that can be gone in a day in this world or it can mean nothing in a day in, in this uh, world. And so he recognized that this had happened to him. He said, Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was troubled. And so the Lord kind of disciplined him by pulling back a little bit his favor, the intimacy of relationship between him and God. So David knew, uh-oh, there's something wrong in the relationship between the Lord and I. Got to be something wrong on my part. And, and then he realized it was this attitude that had crept into his life, not trusting in the Lord for, for his life and the needs in his life, but trusting in his own position and in his own wealth. I cried out to you, O Lord, and to, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. So here's this thing of, Lord, if I die, you got one less person worshiping you in the world. And so that doesn't seem like something you'd want to do. So he's, uh, he's working the angles on this thing a little bit. So he's just informing the Lord of, uh, of that fact. You have turned for me my mourning and the dancing. And so here when God delivered him from, uh, from death, he, uh, this is his praise to the Lord. You've turned my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. So he, it's, again, very beautiful poetic language. He says, I had dressed myself for a funeral, and I ended up going to a wedding. Now, a wedding in those days, that was the greatest party you could go to. It would go on for days, depending on the wealth of the family. So to prepare yourself and dress yourself for a funeral and then someone to break in and say, hey, we don't have to go to the funeral. Uh, she didn't die. We're going to her wedding. All right, let me get my wedding clothes out. So you talk about an emotional swing. And that's, that's what he's talking about here as God answered his prayer and spared his life and to the end uh, that my glory may uh, sing praise to you and not be silent. I thank my God and I give thanks to you forever. And so the Lord, David just lifting up his praise to the Lord for sparing his life when he realized that was the only explanation for the fact that his uh, life uh, continued. And so uh, it, sometimes when we have these, um, uh, these miracles that God does in our life, one of the great miracles uh, for the six of us in this room where God has spared our lives, and uh, I'm not letting that go, by the way. I'm going to ride that all the way till the closing benediction. But... Um, but so often when, do, when God does something like that in, in our lives, it ends up being forgotten. Uh, it ends up on a shelf somewhere in our memory gathering dust. And what the psalmist is kind, try, kind of saying here is it's important to remember those episodes in life and to dust them off and to remember how faithful God has been to us, that we would not be alive. And this is true of all of us. We would not be alive today apart from His grace. 
But that, that great event that we forget and then we cease to give him thanks for, David says, never forget that and never stop giving him thanks for the grace that he showed you. And then number three, as he speaks about here, never stop telling other people who are in the same situation that you were in when you thought you were going to die of the God who spared your life. And again, as this psalm is like all of the psalms, a very important and a very blessed and needed reminder. So we'll ask the worship team to come forward right now and we'll just give God praise for how good He has been to us and whatever place the Holy Spirit takes your mind and your heart and your spirit, whatever direction, here as we just close out our service this evening with a little time of giving Him the worship and the praise that He is due.